one thing you need to realize is that people are petrified of being creative. Even the, the master creatives are still quite often scared about releasing work onto the world and the fear of being judged. Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from the Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, I'm your host, Will Sherlin. On this episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about how to start flexing what is likely an underused muscle for you if you're like 98% of the population over the age of 31, the creative muscle. Among the topics we'll discuss are why creativity gets to be so difficult with age, five activities you can undertake regularly to make sure your creative capacity doesn't wane, and how a site called Idea to Value can help you make sure your next great idea doesn't fall by the wayside. Here with us today to talk about all that and more is Nick Skillicorn. Nick is the chief editor of ideatovalue.com and founder and CEO of Improvides Innovation Consulting. Nick is a coach, speaker, author, and TEDx speaker, and he was voted the world's number five innovation blogger in 2016. He helps individuals and companies build their creativity and innovation capabilities so that they can develop the next breakthrough idea which their customers will love. In addition to those many hats, he recently joined Deloitte's strategy consulting division working out of Sydney, Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Very happy to be here. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on. Thanks for joining us so early down under in Sydney. Let's start off today talking about why creativity is important in the workplace. By 2020, it's anticipated to be the third most valuable attribute for employees to have. Why do you think creativity is in such high demand in the business world? And just as a follow-up, what were some of the other values on that top 10 list? Absolutely. The, the fact that business leaders are starting to really see the value in something like creativity has been a long time coming. But uh, if you look at what actually has driven behind that, you, you can see why it's so much uh, a desired quality right now. When business leaders talk about creativity, they're thinking about it as a growth. They equate creativity as being able to overcome whatever business challenges are going to come in the future, um, outcompete their market peers, prevent themselves being disrupted, and uh, get new products and new offerings out there into the market that are going to replace whatever becomes obsolete from their own catalog in the future. Not, not only um, is creativity the number three business capability that a lot of leaders talk about, uh, another very important survey from a couple of years ago from IBM interviewed about 1,500 CEOs. And they said that creativity was the number one business asset that was going to help them drive their future growth. So when, when business leaders talk about creativity, they don't necessarily want to talk about the arts or uh, about expressing yourself. They're thinking about it from a, a purely business numbers perspective. But they understand that the skills of creativity overall, coming up with new ideas, coming up with something that's different, expressing yourself differently, are going to be vital for it. And and do you recall what were some of the other attributes that were on the on the top 10 list? 
One which really springs to mind is uh, very related to creativity, and it's about problem-solving ability. So not only is creativity in the sense of coming up with new ideas going to be in demand, another one which was very, very important as well is the ability to look at whatever challenges there are and come up with new and novel solutions to them. So the whole top 10 list, uh, part of it is around management, part of it is around keeping talent in check. There are several attributes which are all about overcoming challenges, overcoming uh, obstacles and growing in the future. Okay, very nice. Well, there are a few studies that you write about on the idea to value website that address the decline in creativity that many of us experience as we progress through life. Can you share a little bit of information on those studies and what they found? Absolutely. There's a couple which I always refer back to. Uh, but two of the main ones uh, come from uh, a study that was done following a requirement by NASA and another one which looked at more or less uh, a huge population of people. So the first one uh, was commissioned by Professor George Land, who uh, wanted, to do a, uh, wanted to do a longitudinal study following the same group of people over time to see what happened as they got older. And he put a creativity test to a group of five-year-olds. And of those five-year-olds, 98% of them scored at a genius level for creativity. And then when he interviewed the same five-year-olds five years later, when they were 10 years old, that had dropped down significantly. By the time those people had become adults, those creativity levels have dropped from 98% in childhood down to about 2% uh, overall as adults. And that, that's just something that blew people away when they saw that there really does seem to be evidence behind people becoming less creative as they get older. But not only does it happen at an individual level, another professor, Kyung Hee Kim, looked at what's happening at a population-wide level over the last couple of decades. She was interested to see what impact the changes in the way that we're taught in school might have impacted uh, people's ability and desire to be creative. And she's seen by analyzing the results of something called the Torrance Test of Creativity. Since the 1990s, there's been a steady decline in people's creative ability and creative output following a change in the school system where people were told to focus more on getting the right results, the right exam results, than expressing themselves and trying to think of new solutions to problems. So both at an individual level and a population-wide level, there seems to be a decline in creativity over time. Yeah, and I wonder just on the kind of broader societal level, surely I have to think that social media and the kind of always on kind of technology culture probably contributes to that too on some level away from education, but just for, for the rest of us too. There's not that much uh, sort of scientific evidence that's looked at that, but mm -hmm. the way that uh, the, the science that I've looked at seems to relate to that is around the brain's ability to avoid distractions and how that uh, influences its ability to be creative. When you've got your smartphone and you're always waiting for the next notification or you uh, want to check Facebook to see whether or not you've got a new like, you've got a, a new sort of heart on Instagram or a new retweet on Twitter, if you're constantly checking and constantly have this anxiety about uh, uh, about wanting to see what's going on, it's very hard for the brain to turn off for a while. And what that results in is a brain that's constantly at a high activity level in what we call a beta state, a more stressed state. And this brain state has been shown to correlate with an ability to 
converge on ideas and refine them and focus on them. But it's less good at allowing the brain to come up with new diverse ideas. So you don't have as many instances of when your brain's relaxed and you're essentially in your own head and with your own thoughts where you get these eureka moments that people talk about. Quite often people say they get their best ideas in the shower. And this is because that's one example of a time when people really are just in a more relaxed state and just by themselves. So social media, in my view, it's something that we need to study more and get some more evidence around. But the whole fact that people are essentially on high alert the whole time does prevent them being able to divert brain resources to come up with new and different ideas. So one thing you write about is exercises that any and all of us can do to ensure our brains remain elastic, even as our bodies become less so. And there are five that you that you point out on the Idea to Value website. Do you mind sharing what those are with listeners? Absolutely. So uh, what I found at a very high level is that if you want to stay more creative uh, and actually improve your creativity over time, there's five things that you can do on a very regular basis to, to help you achieve that. And some of them you should be doing daily, some of them you should be doing weekly, and some of them you should probably be doing on a monthly basis. So the ones that you should be doing daily are every day you should be getting what I call 15 minutes of unfocused time. It goes back to my previous point about the brain being on high alert versus a bit more relaxed and and with its own thoughts. And if you can devote 15 minutes every day to not looking at a screen, not having a conversation with someone, not reading a book, not listening to any human speech, that allows the brain to essentially start wondering a little more and uh, start forming new random connections within itself. So uh, a good time to do this is by taking a walk at lunchtime and not trying to check your emails at the same time or not being on Facebook or taking a walk after work, doing certain types of exercises that don't require focus like uh, swimming or running or those sorts of things. That enables you to have more of these time periods during the day to have these divergent ideas. Another thing you should be doing every day as well to actually help you execute on your ideas, you should be listing out every day what challenge you're actually working on, whether or not it's at business uh, or uh, at home, and what ideas you've previously come up with and tried to address that challenge. So uh, what this is meant to do is to help you stay creatively productive, uh, to prevent yourself from just spending all of your time during your day being uh, in unproductive things, doing activity rather than actions. So a lot of people come to the end of a workday having been in meetings the whole day and find that they've actually got the feeling that they haven't achieved anything or got anything done. Or they are staring at a blank piece of paper with writer's block and they just can't seem to get over it. If you actually write down an idea you, you're going to try and you try it out, even if, you, if, even if that idea wasn't good enough and didn't really solve the problem, the next day you can see, okay, I've tried that, now I need to try something else. So it keeps you progressing forward. And then the third thing you should be doing on a daily basis, if you really want to become better at being creative, is you need to force your brain to be creative every day. And the best way I've found to do this is uh, through doing little creativity brain teasers. I've developed a set of several hundred creativity exercises that people can do every day. It's available on my website, ideatovalue.com. The way it works is these are open-ended creativity challenges that don't have a right answer. And it's all about forcing your brain within a set time limit 
to get out of its comfort zone and to uh, think of as many solutions to these random questions as possible. And what this trains your brain to do is to become much more comfortable with the ambiguity uh, that exists around creativity. The, the desire to give the perfect answer is one thing that really holds us back. And instead, if you allow it to just spend several minutes each day brute forcing itself to be creative, it becomes much more creative in the rest of its uh, day and the rest of its life as well. So those are things you should be doing every day. What about things that you should be doing every week? The best things to do every week are all about getting variety and new experiences into your life. New ideas are formed by random new connections between old ideas. That's how it works in the brain. It's, it's like a spider web. Neural pathways will try different um, routes inside your brain to come up to a solution. And occasionally, one of these new pathways comes up with a combination of previous ideas that is essentially a solution to whatever challenge you're working on and becomes a new idea. So if you can feed it more seeds of information, more new experiences, more knowledge, uh, whether or not it's just in your domain or in other domains as well, from that, more new ideas can grow. So every week you should be trying to make sure you learn something new or experience something new, uh, whether or not it's Little things like going to a new restaurant, going to a new art exhibition, reading a new magazine, watching a documentary on something, meeting a new group of people, whatever it is, as long as you are telling your brain, I have done something fundamentally different this week, that's what it takes. At the same time, you should be trying to get new experiences and variety into your life all the time. When you get sort of a, a jolt out of your routine, that's been shown to increase your short-term creativity by about 14%. So there was an experiment done in Holland where um, apparently they have a, a breakfast food, which is a chocolate sprinkle sandwich. It's just a layer of white bread with butter and they put chocolate sprinkles on top. And all the kids know about it and it's one of the most common things that uh, you eat as a child. And so what a researcher there did is they, uh, they invited them to come in and do a creativity test to assess how creative they are. But first, they uh, during the waiting time outside, they were told to make a chocolate sandwich. So they had the bread, they put the butter on the bread, they put the chocolate sprinkles on, and then they went and did the test. And then a couple of days later, they were, come, uh, they were asked to come the, uh, and do the test again. But this time, they were told to wait outside, and there was a new set of instructions on how to make the sandwich. Uh, and this time, they were told, take the bread, put the butter on, put the sprinkles on the plate, turn the bread upside down and press the butter into the sprinkles and then turn it up again and you've got your sandwich. So you end up with the same sandwich, but it was produced in a unexpected way. And just from doing that unexpected thing just before they did the test, their creativity scores increased by 14%. So that shows that if you jolt yourself out of your routine, you get new ways of thinking, you get new variety into your day, that can result in you being more creative as well. And you can do that in the simplest ways. You can do that by driving a new route to work every day. You can do that by, uh, if you have a vending machine at work, uh, pressing a new number, to, even if you want to get the, the same can out, or uh, if you just try and sort of do something fundamentally different every day, go to, go to a new sandwich store for lunch every day, that will give you a short-term boost to creativity. And then finally, what do you do on a monthly basis? On a monthly basis, I recommend everyone do something creative for themselves and get it done 
on a monthly basis. This again helps you get over the procrastination and the fear of perfection and the fear of judgment. Uh, so whatever you want to do, whether or not you're a coder and you want to produce a new JavaScript script, uh, if you're a carpenter, you can make a little wood house or a shelf. Uh, if you're a photographer, you can put together a, a set of edited collages, whatever it might be, whatever you want your creative project to be on a monthly basis. You just say, at the end of each month, I have produced something just for me. And, uh, and that's all there is to it. And next month, I'm going to produce something different again and maybe try to do it a little bit differently or a little bit better and refine my skills a little, uh, a little bit better. And this is all about executing rather than execution. It's about getting it done and overcoming this fear of what if people don't like it? What if, what if it's not good enough? What if I'm not creative? And what this does is it triggers the brain to become more comfortable with being creative, not only during that time for yourself, but also in the rest of its time at work around other people. It, it's, it's really about overcoming this fear of failure, this fear of perfection and the fear of judgment. Yeah. So get out there and find those passion projects. So let, let me ask, creativity is often thought of as some ephemeral thing that the French might describe as je ne sais quoi, or that's certain something that you can't really put your finger on. Scientists, however, have developed tests to measure and analyze creativity. You mentioned a few earlier. What do some of those tests look like if guests might be interested in getting a rough cut of their own creative capacity? <laughs> Good question. So the way that uh, scientists analyze creativity is they try and analyze it in a systematic way to see how many new and original ideas someone can produce in a set amount of time. Because that you can compare people and it, it, it's been shown that um, that figure and that way of analysis seems to work across populations, across different groups of people. And uh, it allows you to see how you compare to someone else just from a pure ability perspective, not actually judging the ideas that you come up with. So the way it might work is that you're given a vague challenge, like I, uh, a, uh, that, like I referred to earlier, um, and you're asked to come up with as many different ideas to uh, address that challenge in a set, ma uh, set amount of time. So the most common one is called the alternate uses test, and uh, it might go a little bit something like this. I might show you a picture of a brick or I might give you a paperclip or a plastic straw or some every, everyday object and I will ask you what other uses are there for this object. And the way it usually works is people start listing out ideas and the first couple of ideas that they come up with seem to happen very rapidly. And so for a brick, it might be build a house, build a bridge, build a hospital, build a helipad, build a road, um, build a doghouse, and then they might start going into other ideas such as uh, uh, use it to rub off the um, the lime scale in your toilet, use it to um, throw at someone, use it as a doorstop, use it on your car accelerator to go on cruise control, etc., etc., uh, when you start analyzing the results that they give, you can start seeing certain trends. So the first group of results that they came up with, build a house, build a hospital, build a helipad, those are all 
very similar ideas to one another. They have a lot of number behind them, but they don't have a lot of differentiation behind them. The first way you can analyze the uh, creativity of someone from these results is you count the number of responses they give, but then you can categorize the responses and count the number of categories that they come up with. And the more categories, the more different types of answers they give, the more creative they're likely to be. So if they gave all just building objects, they would have a high number, but a low sort of differentiation. Um, but if they did give other types of answers, like using it as, a, uh, as an accelerator in your car, throwing it at someone, those sorts of things, then that is different categories and more creative. What you can then do once you've got responses from many different people is you can see whether or not some of the responses this person gave were completely original. So if they were the only person that said you could um, put it in a kiln with carbon and remove the uh, oxygen from the iron in the brick and reduce that down to iron, melt it down and make a ring out of it, then that might be a, a result that someone else did not think of and that would make your response more original. And that is one of the golden nuggets that researchers look for when it comes to creativity. Did you come up with something that other people didn't? And then the last thing that people sometimes analyze, which is the least important of them, is the detail behind them. So the detail is like... Uh, you can use it to remove limescale from a toilet built in 1940s France or something like that. It, it doesn't fundamentally change the idea, uh, but uh, a bit more detail sometimes relates to higher creativity as well. So that, that's one of the classic examples. There's other um, types of tests, especially around the Torrance test of creative thinking, which has a whole bevy of these and is the most widespread sort of very analytical way of doing large groups of uh, creative assessment. They'll have other challenges that people are set um, to come up with lots of ideas at the same time. But um, essentially, it's all about assessing how many ideas people can come, come up with, how different are those ideas from one another, and how original are they compared to what the larger group of people said. Okay, got it. So you write on the site about creative goals. They're notoriously tough to meet, but you think they don't have to be. What are some do's and don'ts of creative goal setting? Oh, very good question. And I'm now trying to think back as to uh, where exactly I wrote that because I don't <laughs> want to misquote myself. Um, the, the main thing about creative goal setting is one thing you need to realize is that people are petrified of being creative. Even the, the master creatives are still quite often scared about releasing work onto the world and the fear of being judged. So this is something that everyone goes through. And once you're aware that this is a normal feeling to have, you can start pushing through it. So the first goal you should have is to actually enable yourself to be creative. A lot of people claim that they're not creative because they compare themselves to other people and they say, oh, when I was in kindergarten, uh, I was told that my drawings aren't that good or I'm not that good a singer or uh, I can't dance very well or I'm clumsy and I can't make sculptures. And they think that that equates to them not being creative. The fact is creativity is all about your ability to come up with an idea that's new and valuable. And that can express itself in any number of ways, in business, in whatever you work on, at home, uh, in groups of people with friends, or in what some people would consider the creative arts. So if you give yourself permission to be creative, that should be your first goal. Allow yourself to say, I have ideas and I'm going to try and execute them as best I can and improve over time. 
that should be your first goal. And then you can start getting into the slightly more subtle goals. Like, for example, the other thing you need to realize is that other people will not really see your idea the same way that you see it. So what I like to tell companies is people, your customers don't really give a crap what you think of your own ideas and your own products. They only care about what they perceive as being the value of the products. And this is where a lot of companies, from an innovation perspective, fall down. They might think, oh my God, this is like the best new feature or the best product and it's going to be a surefire blockbuster. And no company has ever released a product that they knew was going to be a complete dud. And yet when they release it into the market, like um, quite often the response from the customers is not nearly as excited as what they were hoping. And this is because there's a difference between their perception of the value of their product and the perception from the market of the value of their product. Essentially, other people don't see your ideas the same way that you do. So you need to be aware that if you want uh, your creative project to meet a certain target, then you need to adjust the way that you approach that target from the mind of the uh, target, the mind of the customer, the mind of the end user. And the best way to do that is to do things like uh, design thinking style ethnographic research. If you really understand the mindset of the people you're trying to work with, then you're much more likely to have them uh, see your idea in a similar way that you do or because you can adjust your idea. And uh, An idea is always very, very rough when it starts and needs time to be refined, experimented on, actually executed. And uh, quite often, most ideas end up not going as far as people think, but a couple of ideas uh, will stand out. So the, the main thing around idea-based uh, idea goal setting is, first of all, allow yourself to do it but then actually figure out how you're gonna how you're gonna do it to make it a success. So, in one of the videos on idea to value, you give the three thousand dollar workshop in sixty seconds. Can you share a little <laughs> a little bit of background around that, and perhaps regale our listeners with it? Absolutely, I can try my best. So, what uh, what was behind this is um, back when I was a management consultant, and I uh, and I wasn't a, a professional um, innovation consultant. One thing that really cheesed me off was when we were bringing in facilitators and experts to help us generate ideas and to help us do brainstorming sessions, and the value that these people would give would actually turn out to be extremely low because what they were telling us, what they were doing for these workshops where they were being paid $3,000, $5,000 plus was essentially just trying to energize people and get them to come up with as many post-it notes on a wall as possible because from their perspective, they can then show whoever they send the bill to, look at this wall of ideas your people had produced and then clap their hands and say, my job's done here. The $3,000 workshop in 60 seconds would go a little bit like this. And uh, maybe if I just bring out my stopwatch, I can try and do it. All right, so I've got my stopwatch and I'm going to start and see how far I get in 60 seconds. 
hey, welcome everyone. We're going to have a great time today. We're going to come up with loads of ideas for your business. First of all, let's spend uh, half that time getting to know each other around the room. Okay, so what do we think the problem is? You, yeah, you've got something to say. What is it? Shout it out. Doesn't matter if it like disappoints everyone else and distracts them. Let's start putting post-it notes up on the wall as much as possible. Okay, what do people think? Okay, let's see. This one post-it note, let's focus on this for about three quarters of the session. Uh, Let's come up with 20 more ideas that are almost exactly like this. Okay, let's put uh, another 300 ideas up on the wall, which are all identical and the same. And then the end of the session, we come to it. It looks like we've got a whole wall worth of work here, but there's no actions coming out of it. I'm essentially going to step back now and go to the manager and say, hey, look, we had a fantastic session here. You can now go and put all of these uh, ideas into a big spreadsheet if you want. My job's done here. I'm going to send you my bill in the post. Thank you for having me. And if you ever need another sort of high energy brainstorming session, I'm welcome to come again. With one second to spare. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so at a very, very high level, that is my frustration with classic innovation facilitation. It's all about quantity and not about quality and not about outcomes at all. Their focus is on, let, let me just do the same thing that I've done over and over, which is just to encourage people to shout out as much as possible. And what I found throughout all of my research is that is actually the opposite of what results in good ideas. Good ideation facilitation session should start with people working independently based on a problem that is very clearly articulated where the evaluation criteria very uh, well explained and uh, should focus on the problem statement allowing people to first diverge independently with the ideas they generate and then converge as a group to discuss how several people came up with similar ideas if there's a theme there what the uh, ideas themselves are saying not the person who was coming up with them was saying and then how those groups of ideas can be refined further then evaluated selected and actually actions coming out of that session should relate to what needs to happen given to specific people by a deadline. So what is it actually going to result for in a business? That is how you run an effective ideation session at a very high level. Okay, very nice. Very impressive work in just one minute. Well, the check is in the mail, we promise. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd, I'd be remiss, Nick, if I didn't ask you about the Idea to Value podcast. A few of the guests that you've had on have also been guests here on the Innovation Engine uh, specifically, I'm referring to Paul Sloan, who also has a number of uh, of kind of like innovation brain teasers that he's he's fond of, uh, and David Burkus, who also has his own podcast and has a fantastic voice for podcasting. If uh, if anyone listening has not heard David Burkus, check out his podcasts uh, with with us or with Nick or uh, Leader Lab, I believe is the name of his. But anyway, can you share with listeners a little bit of background on the Idea to Value podcast and let them know where they can find it if they're just not getting their innovation fix here at the Innovation Engine? Absolutely. So the focus of the Idea to Value podcast and Idea to Value in general, it's all about evidence-based innovation and evidence-based creativity. And that's how I really distinguish myself. I, as you can tell, I was very frustrated by the types of innovation experts and facilitators who just come out there and try and do high-energy motivational work. What I cared about is actually trying to find out what does the research say, uh, what does the research say about what makes a difference for creativity? How does it work in the brain? 
what sort of things enhance it, what sort of things uh, destroy it, and how does innovation work as a result of that in teams, organizations, how do you build an innovation culture that works, all of these things. The point of the Idea to Value podcast is to try and bring on interesting people with interesting perspectives and research behind them sometimes to um, discuss what impact that has on their ability to be creative or what they've found uh, affects other people's ability to be creative and innovative. So, for example, I've had artists on who uh, who've produced the pinkest pink in the world. I've had artists on who uh, produce light shows um, as a collective from Japan. I've had mathematicians on who are working on uh, artificial intelligence and artificial creativity at IBM Watson. I've had other experts on who talk about uh, their experiences and perspectives with innovation within their company and within their consultancies like Paul Sloan and David Berkus. And I essentially try and bring on different people with different perspectives that people can learn from. So instead of having people just come and regaling their own experience with innovation or their own sort of viewpoints on it, I always try and dig down deeper into why is something happening? What can people learn from it? So that's the the ambition of the Idea to Value podcast. It's still quite young. I, I try and release a uh, episode every few weeks when I can. Although now that I'm in Australia, it's proving a bit more challenging getting people to just have a have a time slot when they can do the interview. But I'm I'm still doing it. So uh, I would suggest if people want to find out more, uh, the best thing to do is to go to ideatovalue.com, where you can also get some free training on the five ways to improve your creativity when you sign up, when you register for a free account there. And then you'll get uh, access to all of the free podcasts as well. If you are just on iTunes or on Stitcher, you can uh, get the Idea to Value podcast through those podcasting services. But uh, I'd really love it if you can join us. And uh, if you're interested in creativity and innovation, then it's a great place to be. Okay, very nice. Well, I, I can attest to that. I, I uh, signed up uh, in advance of the podcast to get a look at the materials and uh, and. They are extensive. So nice work. Thank you so much for uh, for putting it out there into the world. Uh, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure. The Innovation Engine podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Google Play to ensure that you never miss a new episode and head to threepillarglobal.com slash podcast to receive new updates about our show and read the full show notes and transcript of each episode. Don't forget, we also have an app for our Three Pillar Podcasts. Just search for the Innovation Engine on the App Store.